I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 298. And today in the show, we are back for another episode of our Rut Fresh mini-series, in which we're getting fresh from the field updates from deer hunters across the country on what deer are doing right now, how upcoming conditions might impact them, and what you can do in the coming days to fill your tag. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. It is me and Spencer Newharth here for another episode of our Rut Fresh Radio miniseries in which we hear from hunters all across the country on the latest in deer activity, on how current conditions are impacting deer and deer hunting, and the different ideas and tips and tactics that can help you fill a tag right now in these next couple days. That's the game plan for today. Spencer, do you feel that given the Given the gauntlet I just laid, can we meet those expectations? Can we deliver on the episode today? I, I think we can. Uh, I think listeners should be interested into what these four guests have to say because this time of year, maybe more than any other time of year, the deer movement seems to be almost like a light switch. Like the velvet's gone, the bachelor groups break up, and these bucks that you've been seeing on their summer patterns for the last three months – now turn nocturnal. And so like hearing this kind of information, I think in early to mid September is more valuable than maybe even like early November. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got to strike when the iron's hot and it can get cold real fast this time of year. So with that said, uh, who do we talk to? We start off in Maryland and talk to Cody Hesseltine. And then in South Dakota was Alex Comstock from Whitetail DNA. And then we get on to Florida from Story Hunts is Brandon Story. And then we talk to Hunter Forbes from Southern Whitetail Outfitters in Kentucky. Now, I enjoy talking to these guys because I have not been getting my whitetail fix lately. I'm about to start focusing on elk. But you, Mark, you have been doing some scouting in preparation for Michigan's opener, which is still like three weeks away. Is that correct? 
Yeah, yeah, two, two and a half weeks, something like that. But yes, doing my long-distance scouting, which every year I find myself doing more and more and more of. Um, just getting out there with a spotting scope and watching bean fields or food plots or crop fields of some kind, depending on what I can get access to. And, and yeah, you know, the last couple days, up until today, we have had some pretty cool weather for the time of year. And I think that in part has led to some pretty good activity out there still in some of these fields. So I've got on one of the properties that can hunt, there was a late planted bean field. So it is still very green and the deer are just hammering it. So, oh, I don't know, handful of nights ago, I saw a real nice, I've been calling him the big nine, but I think he's actually 10 pointer. He's got a short G4 on, on his right side, I guess. But he's a three- or four-year-old, and then last night and the night before that, I saw another buck that I've been seeing a lot this summer, really nice 10-pointer. Um, and I don't know if you saw this. I posted this on Instagram last night, Spencer, but I've been watching this buck grow throughout the summer, and I've been trying to figure out, like, do I know this deer? Is this a, is this somehow a deer that took a big jump from last year? He kind of seems familiar. And a, a two-year-old from last year kept pop up, popping up in my head as a deer. Like, I need to go back and compare pictures and video to this one. So finally, last night, I went and did it. I looked at a bunch of pictures, pulled up a bunch of old video, and then compared it with all the phone scope footage I have of this deer this year. And matching them up with similar angles, I think it's a match. I think at least there's a very good chance it's a match. This deer last year was just a... A decent two-year-old eight-pointer here in Michigan, um, and I, I noticed him last year because I don't know if you remember, but all through the late summer and early fall last year, I was still holding out hope that Holyfield might have made it, um, and so I got a couple like grainy, distant pictures of like a tall eight-pointer in the distance, and had a frame that kind of tilted up, his main beams kind of tilted up at the end. I'm like, man, could that be Holyfield? If if so, he really took a jump down like he really decreased in size well it turns out it wasn't Holyfield it was this buck it was this eight pointer and I ended up seeing him a bunch throughout the season and in November he started he appeared one day like really injured like seriously gimped up uh so I just kind of referred to him as gimpy every time I said oh that's that's gimpy in my head I he'd pop out almost he like it's like he followed me around every time I was out I would see him um well lo and behold I think that gimpy is this 10 pointer really uh, has taken a nice jump. He's a good-looking 10-pointer, but just a three-and-a-half-year-old. But he's been out there feeding. This big nine was out there feeding, you know, 30 minutes before dark. So that's a long-winded way of saying kind of like what you mentioned at the top, that when the going's good, the going's good. And so we've had cool weather, and I had a good food source, and that got these uh, these nicer bucks in the area out on their feet. So I'm going to keep on keeping tabs on it. You know, the next two weeks going to stay off the property and um, just observe and maybe put something in place for opening day or that first week. But I'm excited. It's coming quick. It's coming quick. It sounds like that light bulb where these bucks uh, break up their bachelor groups and go nocturnal has not quite turned off for you yet. Is that correct? Well, I will say the bachelor groups seem to have broken up. These so these sightings that I've seen recently were solo sightings. In in previous, you know, all throughout the summer, it was a big group of them, and now I've just I've just been seeing like one of them would be out there, 
And then two days later, the other one would be out there. But they're all by themselves now. So I do think that is that has happened. But, you know, it's still early. That testosterone, is, it's rising, right? The velvet's peeled. The testosterone is rising. But we certainly are still in that somewhat friendly stage. As we get closer to October, you know, we're going to start seeing things change every week. But uh, they're still on speaking terms right now, I'd say. <laughs> and and something, Mark, that, like, I've I've picked up on through now four seasons of doing this podcast is deer movement in mid-September can largely be dictated by consistent weather. Now, there's certain, like, things that you hear, like a a cold front will get deer on their feet or a full moon will make deer movement worse in the mornings and evenings. Like, there's a lot of general things like that that are just really widely accepted. And... I think this is maybe one that I haven't heard talked about as much until he started doing this podcast. And then two years ago in late September, I killed my biggest buck ever with my bow. And, and that was kind of the same case. It was like a week straight of the same wind, no temperature fluctuations. And then on this episode, again, it came up where guys were talking about how they were excited for the coming week because there was that consistent weather that had been building. Is that something that you've heard people discuss or talked about for hunting in September? Well, we'll clarify this for me because the the thing I have heard from a couple people, not a lot, but Mark Drury in particular talks about this, is that when you get a long period of consistent weather, the first day it breaks, the first day that change happens is when you see that bump in movement. So if you were to have four or five days of the same, when stuff stagnates, the longer something stagnates, it builds up the potential boost that you'll get as soon as it changes. That's one of the theories I've heard. Is that what you're speaking to? Or are you saying that these guys are saying that they have better hunts during the stagnant, similar, consistent weather? Yeah, I'm I'm referring to like when you get four or five days of consistent weather that some of these people we've talked to on this episode and past episodes uh, like to see that in the forecast. And I, I don't know the reasoning or, or if they can even justify or I can justify it. Maybe it's that it like kind of gets them back in that summer pattern in, in mid-September after it's kind of gone away. I don't know what it is. Um, but it's something now that's come up over a couple seasons of doing this podcast. Interesting. I mean, the one thing that comes to mind is it simply is beneficial from a hunting standpoint as the hunter because if you've got four or five days of a consistent wind direction, you have four or five days where deer might be doing something that you can take an advantage of in the same way, right? Because it sucks if you see a buck do something for two nights with a west wind and then you can finally hunt him, but then all of a sudden it's east wind, you know? But if you have five days straight of wests, then you have the opportunity to make a move with that similar wind direction. I mean, that's one thing I can think of that would make that beneficial. But uh, I'm, I'm intrigued to hear from these people about uh, what they're seeing. Yeah, I think that's that's maybe the best observation on this theory, Mark, that if, if you are watching a bean field and there's five days of south winds and, and you see this deer doing this on nights two and nights three, then you're probably going to see him there on nights four and five. And, and in your head that means that the buck movement is better if you're seeing this same thing. So maybe not in reality that the deer movement is better, but it certainly is at a hunter's advantage. That perception, yeah, that makes sense. Well, 
I would say we should just get into it because I'm not deer hunting right now. So I just need to vicariously live through some folks who are. And I know we've got four guys here that can help me do that. So uh, do you want to take it from here, Spencer? Yes. And I want to plug something for the end of the podcast. I want to stick around and listen because Hunter Forbes in Kentucky uh, just recovered a deer this afternoon that one of his clients hit last evening. And it's probably the most unique recovery story I've ever heard. Um, So stay tuned for that. Listen to the whole podcast. Oh, and I I thought you were going to plug something else. And I will plug this other something else. Um, If you have not yet signed up for our new Whitetail Weekly newsletter, you should go do that. Over at TheMeatEater.com, we are putting a bigger emphasis on whitetails than ever before with yours truly and Spencer and a couple other folks on the team contributing new articles, new video series, podcast series like this. And we're going to put those in a weekly newsletter sent right to you every single Monday so you can stay up to date on the latest and greatest whitetail stuff that we are working on. So all you got to do is go to TheMeatEater.com. You'll see a little pop-up that will ask you to sign up for that newsletter. Go hit that up. We've got some really cool stuff that's going to be announced here very shortly, including, uh, I think I can say this, a pretty badass giveaway or two, possibly. So hit that up as soon as you get done listening to this. Is that That's that's a solid thing to ask him, right, Spencer? That's a really good plug. The, the giveaway is so good that I want us to rig it somehow for me to win. <laughs> like I'm, I'm willing to put my job on the line to win this giveaway. It's that good. Wow. I guess with that, on that note, let's, uh, let's wrap it up and move on to the interviews. All right. Talk to you next week. But before we move on, I want to tell you guys about the biggest sale of the year currently going on over at themeateater.com. Now what's happening is we have a whole bunch of stuff sitting in one warehouse And they want us to move it from that warehouse to another warehouse. But we figured rather than going through all that work, we're just going to market really cheap and sell it. So go over to TheMeatEater.com, look at our shop, and there's almost 50 different things that are currently marked for 40% off. You're going to find things like hoodies, hats, t-shirts, mugs. We have a variety of different styles and sizes. We have men's, women's, and youth. So don't miss out on this deal. It only goes through Thursday evening. By the time you hear this ad, you probably have less than 24 hours. So head over to media.com, check out those sales. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now, you probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart, or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. 
Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. All right, and joining us on the line first is Cody Hesseltine from Maryland. Now, Cody in Maryland... What would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? Um, for our opener, it was pretty good. Uh, I would probably give it a 7 to 8 out of 10 on Saturday. Friday was pretty slow because we had the hurricane come through with some, some high winds, and it kind of laid the deer down there real skittish. But you know, Saturday, after that type pass, the deer really moved well. Now, I know you just killed a buck there in Maryland. Tell us a little bit about that setup. Um, so on that setup, I was I was kind of hunting this transition area. I was hunting just off the edge of bedding where these deer were coming out of this thicket and then transitioning through it going to a big white oak flat. Um, as the white oaks had just started dropping here within the last week and a half or so. So is that a food source that you think is going to be pretty consistent throughout the month of September here or is that a short window where deer are going to be hitting that? No, it'll be pretty consistent throughout the month. They're just starting to drop now. There's not a lot coming down. I think in the next week to two more should start falling and that should be a a bigger food source for the deer as an urban bow hunter what are the food sources this time of year are you looking for um i hunt a little bit on the edge of farmland too so the soybeans are still pretty green and now the deer are still really going to feed on those but white oaks and uh some of the bur oaks are really what i tend to key on try to get us the most flats the deer coming out into these open flats to feed at night do you notice any differences for how long or how short those urban deer hold their summer patterns versus the ones that are in more of your typical farm country? Uh, I don't really notice the difference between the urban farm deer. It really seems here once the white oaks start falling, that really becomes their preferred source of food, and that they'll you know go right to that. So I don't really see too much of a change in patterns between the urban and farm deer as summer. What are you seeing right now for bachelor groups? Are bucks still traveling together at this point? Yeah, for the most part, they're still traveling together. They're starting to break up a little bit. I've seen some of the mature bucks that have shed their velvet. They're starting to hang out by themselves now. But for the most part, most of the deer are still bachelored up in groups of four or five. And are you seeing any sign making at this point in Maryland, or do you think it's still too early? Um, Too early. I mean, I've seen a little bit just some of the community scrapes that are open year-round, though there's still being hit um, but i haven't seen any rubs or anything like that yet cody what is your trail cam strategy this time of year then and, and how is that going to change throughout the month of september uh right now i'm really starting to move a lot of them onto the white oak flats trying to you know figure out which which trees are dropping a lot of acorns moving in there and try to see what what new deer are moving into those areas um for that right now and then also kind of moving some off of some soybean fields onto some of the community scrapes I know the buck that you killed was still in velvet, but are you still seeing a lot of those bucks that have fuzzy antlers? 
Yeah, I would say right now it's probably maybe 40% are still in velvet. I noticed we opened there on the 6th, and I would say probably 75% of the bucks are in velvet then. But now, yeah, it dropped down to 4 They're really starting to shed quick now. Going forward then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of 1 to 10 in Maryland? Uh, we got a cold front coming in Friday, so I think it's going to ramp up. We got kind of warmed up now back up into the 90s, but it's supposed to drop up down into the 70s. So with that 20-degree temp drop there on Friday, I think the buck activity is going to stay pretty good right around 78. All right, Cody, well, congrats on the awesome deer, and thanks for joining me. Thank you. All right, and joining us on the line next is Alex Comstock from Whitetail DNA, who is hunting in South Dakota. Now, Alex, in South Dakota, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? Yeah, I would say when I was there, it was probably at about a 3. And the only reason I really wouldn't put it at a 1 was because the first night, uh, we saw two really nice bucks, uh, but it was on the walkout after shooting hours. Um, Other than that, we really didn't see any bucks, and deer activity in general was just really slow. Now, you were hunting the opener on public land there in South Dakota. Do you think that contributed to why you didn't see much? Do you think there was just not much good deer movement across the board? Yeah, I think with the weather, there wasn't that good uh, deer movement across the board. Um, It was really hot. It was, you know, pushing 90s with the humidity. I think it said it was, you know, about 93, 94. So I don't think the weather uh, was doing us much favors there. So what were your setups then? knowing that it was really hot and humid we were on the public land that we were on we were trying to get tight to bedding um, where we were hunting we had pictures of bucks moving um, through midday when they would show up so we kind of knew we were close to where they were bedded and we were hoping they would kind of get up there right in the last half hour before they head out to the crops and uh, they just wouldn't show so that was kind of our game plan now, the Great Plains had a lot of rain this spring and summer, so there's plenty of water available. Did that factor into your guys' decision-making at all? It didn't completely factor into our decision-making just because there wasn't any uh, water water sources around. But like you said, with it being so wet out there, there was water just available anywhere. So even if there was, we probably wouldn't have. From the deer that you did see, uh, were most of them still holding velvet or most bucks hard-horned at this point? Uh, we saw a mix, so there were some smaller bucks that we saw in velvet, and we're getting pictures of bucks still in velvet. Um, but the night that we saw those two bucks on the walkout, they were uh, they were bucked horned already, and that would have been on September second. How about bachelor groups? Were bucks still traveling together? It appeared that they were still traveling together. Um, I figured they probably would have been for at least another week, so based on what what we were seeing. What do you think the best food source to hunt this time of year would be in that area uh, were you looking at some big egg or is there some natural browse available as well yeah out there it seemed like they were heading out to um alfalfa fields at night we were all the crops that we had around were either corn and alfalfa and, um seeing deer driving around at the end of night um or those deer that we saw after dark were in alfalfa fields so that kind of seemed to be the primary food source Now, when you only have a short window like that and you're traveling, bow hunting on public land, did you consider any morning setups at all? Yeah, we actually hunted two mornings. Um, We got in super early, really tight again to bedding. And uh, the one morning was our best hunt. We saw probably a a two- or three-year-old buck that had some really good genetics and a few does coming through. But even those deer came through within probably the first 10 10 minutes of a legal shooting light. 
So if it hadn't been so hot there in South Dakota in the four or five days you had to hunt, would have that changed your strategies? Yeah, I think we would have probably uh, gone with the same strategy, but it would have probably gave us a better chance for these those mature bucks to be getting out of their bed maybe a little early heading to the food, uh, being able to cut them off in those last you know hour or so of light. Being in close to their bedding like you were, did you come across any sign making? I know it's really early, uh, but it sounds like you were tied on them in the timber, so maybe you saw some rubs or scrapes this soon. Yeah, we did not run any, across any rubs or scrapes, so I don't know if we just weren't tight enough or if uh, if we just weren't in the exact right spot, per se. Going forward then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of 1 to 10 in South Dakota? I'd probably put it still pretty low. When I had left, uh, the outlook for the weather was still pretty warm, and unless you can get a significant temperature drop, I would uh, put it probably around a 4 or 5. All right, Alex, well, I hope you get a chance to return. Good luck with the rest of your season, and thanks for joining me. All right, thanks, Spencer. All right, and joining us on the line next is Brandon Story from Florida from Story Hunts. Now, Brandon, in Florida, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? I'd say here in the past week we're probably at about a 6 out of 10 right now, which should be increasing with the full moon coming up here shortly. So what phase of the rut are you experiencing right now in South Florida? Um, in the south zone, south of Highway 70, we've seen uh, really intense rutting actually from the very beginning of August. Um, it really peaked up in the mid-August when the full moon hit then, and it seemed to slow back down a little, which I think they'll increase um, as the full moon's coming there. And then on the north side of 70 in the central zone, fixing to open this weekend, um, we've noticed that the bucks have really broken out of their bachelor groups a couple of weeks ago, and they're starting to make some scrapes and um, lease some sign and break off into their areas. So I would assume that the central zone rut is going to probably get really get fired up here in the next couple of days when the full moon hits as well. With that full moon coming, how does that change the strategies for your clients? Um, it really just as much as you can stay in the tree stand with the full moon because you don't really know when they're going to show their face, but they show their face a lot more during the daylight around that time. Uh, it seems like they um, not only are you know in the daylight a lot more, they're a lot more serious and uh, in, intense into the rut. You see a lot more fighting, um, tongues hanging out as they're cruising a lot midday. So you really just have to kind of get where you know the does are at on camera lately and hope you can get the right buck to pass by at the right time. Now, Hurricane Dorian didn't directly hit you guys, but it certainly brought some weather. How did that affect deer movement? Um, we've definitely seen the increase in deer movement for the two or three days before Dorian got really close to us. Uh, luckily, it did turn and go up the coast. Um, it seemed like for the day or two that it was really you know, close to us there and some of the winds and rain were coming in that there was a shutdown on some of the cameras that we got to where there was not as much deer movement at all. Uh, so it seems like they really loaded up before the storm, shut down a couple of days when it was close, and then afterwards um, we started seeing the deer activity picking back up along with all the birds that kind of left and uh, everything got back to normal. Typically, if it was at this stage of the rut in, mid, in the Midwest, hunters would be using calling and decoys and, and strategies like that to bring the deer to them. Is that something that you guys utilize in South Florida? Yes, sir. Um, you know, I've, I've hunted the Midwest and Florida, and I, I have does seem like some of the Midwest states you get a little better response with the calling and all, but it's 
I think with any state, the right place at the right time with the right call is going to make, you know, the deer come to you. So there is, you know, it is effective right now with the deer on their feet. If you can, you know, hit a ground call at the right time or hit some rattling horns while they're cruising and not on a hot doe and get on the turn and come towards your area a little more. So that is, um, if you know what area you're in, you know what bucks, you know, are kind of in that area and you got some dominant bucks, I think calling right now is very effective. What food sources are hunters now focused on and what food sources are those deer hitting? Um, a lot of our main food sources down here is, you know, natural stuff that I'd say the orange groves, uh, people setting up off the orange groves now. Um, besides that, we have a lot of protein feeders and, you know, spin feeders down here that ranches have on them for, you know, multiple different animals. Um, and then people are also planting a lot of food plots. If you had your early food plots in where you have your ashenominy, some clover, uh, some peas growing, that'll be your food sources they're mainly hitting right now. With the rut going on in your area, uh, are you seeing a lot of sign making right now, and, and how do you use that? Yeah, we're seeing a, a lot of sign um, popping up in the central zone now because they're breaking off and starting to mark their territories. Um, as the full moon hits and they actually lock into these does, the sign should die down. Um, you usually see a lot of sign, uh, if you want to call it pre-rut, different people have different you know views on what they call rut and pre-rut, but before they really start breeding and chasing the does is when they make a lot of sign. As soon as the sign starts kind of dying down, you know that's when they're actually locked into their does. And I would say starting this weekend and next week, you're going to start seeing less sign and more chasing. Going forward then in the next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of 1 to 10 in Florida? I would say by the full moon um, coming up by this weekend, it's going to be about a 9 out of 10 or 10 out of 10. Um, with the timing coming off the backside of Dorian and seeing where the rut's been down south compared to where these bucks are kind of breaking up now, they're about exactly where the deer were down south before the full moon hit there. So I, I expect it to be pretty high, 9 or 10 out of 10. All right, Brandon, well, good luck to you and the haunters you have in camp. Thanks for joining me. Awesome. Appreciate it, man. All right, and joining us on the line next is Hunter Forbes from Southern Whitetail Outfitters in Kentucky. Now, Hunter, in Kentucky, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? Man, I'm going to go with a 7, 7 out of 10. Yeah, we, we've got a south wind the past couple of days and put them back in their summer patterns, it seems like, and it's been pretty good. Um, having some hunters killing deer yesterday evening and already seeing deer this afternoon. So, yeah, I'm going to give it a seven. These last couple nights, uh, what have those setups been like? Man, so typically everyone was targeting beans this time of year, and here lately the, the corn's been getting shelled, so all these fresh-cut corn fields has really drawn the deer in. Um, it seems like the majority of the deer are bedding in the beans and coming out to the corn field. So kind of reverse um, what you would be thinking, but... Everything's leaving the beans and coming to the fresh-cut cornfield. So that's pretty much been our setups and been working out here lately. So is that a pattern that you think is going to last for a while, or is that going to be short-lived? Well, it's kind of on a per-farm basis um, on when the, the corn's going to be coming out. So as soon as it comes out, you know, it may be like that for a couple of weeks here. Um, but if your you know, corn hadn't came out yet, then you're not seeing that. Um, and on all those farms, we've just mainly been hunting over, you can bait in Kentucky, so mainly hunting over corn piles. Do you have any strategies for killing those bucks that bed out an egg field? Like, say they bed in a bean field, and they also feed in a bean field. Do you have any strategies for killing those deer, or are they just too hard to get to right now? It's 100% about access this time of year. Um, if you can't get into them, you're worried you're going to spook them, you know, it's probably the case. So if you can have a you know, sit and to be able to watch them from afar and come up with a game plan, more than likely they're going to be doing the same thing you know, day after day, given constant weather, consistent weather. 
And so over the weekend, we struggled a little bit because we went from a south wind to a north wind. And those north wind days, we just weren't seeing a deer like we were on camera. Um, but as of yesterday, it swapped, came out of south again, and we're back to our normal summer patterns. And it's been good so far. We've been seeing quite a few deer on cameras and you know, moving in daylight. And hopefully we get a few more down this week. So when you say that these deer are back to their summer patterns, does that mean that you catch a lot of bucks traveling in bachelor groups? Yeah, they're, they're still in bachelor groups. They're just starting to shed their velvet. Some are. Right now, I'd say we're probably sitting on 50-50 as far as ones that have and haven't. Every day we're losing a few. On those north wind days when it got a little bit cooler for us, deer seem to be moving like early morning, right at first light, which we don't hunt the mornings early season. We just stick to the afternoons, you know, afraid of bumping deer out over the food sources getting into. It didn't really work out for our hunting style as far as killing those deer, but now that we're seeing them in the afternoons, um, we've been kind of slowly working our way in as far as sitting and seeing them from a couple hundred yards and then hanging and hunting them, you know, wherever we saw them come out from. So that's proved to been working the best for us. And doing that on it, they're being shelled. Like combines are just getting out of the field and we're going right behind them. Um, can drive the truck all the way up to it because they're used to the farm equipment. And before those combines are out of the field, we got to stand hung and hunters ready to go. Hunter, when you have so many destination food sources like you have on your properties there in Kentucky, do you concern yourself with water at all, or are you always focused on that egg? Yes, definitely about water. We're really, really dry right now. Um, I'd say not really concentrating on water as far as where we're hunting, but as far as what farms are going to have shooter bucks on it right now. If we don't have water somewhere close, we're probably not going to have those deer that we're trying to hunt. So they're, they're definitely hanging around it, you know, to some degree, but we are not hunting over them. Now, on a different note, I saw on Instagram today that you guys recovered a buck that it seemed like you had lost hope on to find this deer that a hunter had just hit. It's a really cool story. Yeah, so last night at last light, we had a shot on a deer and it's a little bit, you know, too far forward, further than we would like. Um, we gave him four hours and followed up. Uh, we happened to bump the deer. So we came out. Um, he looked like he was hit pretty bad, and we could hear coyotes howling close. And we were worried that they were going to get to him you know, by the morning. We came back in this morning, and we trailed blood for close to 900 yards. Um, the last spot kind of ended at a bean field, and there were several trails going through it, and we walked as far as we could. But we're talking beans, chest, and neck high, super tall. You couldn't really see right through it. So I do a lot of scouting with the drone um, as far as seeing where deer are bedding and how they're using this. You know, trails going to the fields and stuff and so grabbed the drone and i didn't have to fly for 60 seconds it was plain as day um once we got it up in the air you could see kind of how the coyotes i guess um ran him into the beans because a lot of beans were knocked over and we were able to, to recover him so pretty neat first time for me you don't think you'd have recovered that deer otherwise i, I really don't i really don't we were trying to get a hold of a dog and um, a lot of dogs when it's this hot, you know, it's pretty hard to work. We actually found him around, I guess, one or two o'clock. It was 96 degrees out. We weren't able to save much of the meat at all. The coyotes had done got most of him. So it was just a, just a recovery, but we were able to do it, you know, thanks to that drone. Well, that's a wild story. Uh, I'm glad it had a happy ending. But going forward in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of one to ten in Kentucky? Weather looks consistent. In consistent weather, deer are going to be doing the same thing, and I'm, I'm going to stick, stick to the seven. It should keep on being just fine. Um, here when acorns start falling, it's going to change things up, but for right now, I think we're pretty consistent. Just 
looking for that freshly cut cornfields and expecting to be bedding in the beans. All right, Hunter, well, thanks for joining me. Good luck to you and your clients, and talk to you later this season. Thanks, Spencer. Good to hear from you. And that concludes this week's episode of Wired to Hunt, Rut Fresh Radio. Thanks to Cody, Alex, Brandon, and Hunter for joining me, and thank you guys for listening. Good luck to those taking advantage of some of these early season whitetail openers, and I hope your fall has started just as you imagined it would. We'll talk to you guys next week, but until then, stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.